I was initially drawn to the reading from Romans, but I opted to prepare something on the reading from Matthew because that seemed more seasonal for Advent. Um, but after a week of trying to prepare, I had a whole stack of ideas that didn't quite seem to fit together and nothing would click, as it were. I felt like I had sat in front of a table full of puzzle pieces and I couldn't get them together to form a completed picture. So last night I went on a walk to try and clear my head at Steph's suggestion, which is how most good ideas in my life come about. <laughs> See, when she talks, she's always really horrible to me. And when I talk, I'm always really nice to her. I think she'll take a leaf out of my book. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but, but at Steph's most excellent suggestion, I went on a walk to clear my head. And by the time I got home, I knew I had to set aside what I'd prepared on Matthew and speak on Romans instead. Uh, so I hope you're all awake and alert this morning, because I'm definitely not creative enough to come up with any gimmicks or jokes or any anecdotes that are interesting to keep your attention in the 16 hours I've had to prepare this. It's just me and some talking, so hopefully you're all awake and alert and ready to listen. Um, <clears throat> Because I think while there are so many wonderful messages that you could speak about from the story of John the Baptist, I just didn't feel like any of those were mandated for us here in this moment. And actually, uh, there's a message from Romans that I want to give today. So as a start of a 10, as a little freebie to get us going, I'll tell you one thing I've learned. Sometimes that small voice that we hear in our head is actually God speaking to us. And we do well and save ourselves a lot of time and wasted effort if we listen and discern a little bit before we set that voice aside. So as I began to prepare for the second time, I was reminded of something God said to me a number of months ago. He's, I was thinking on the church, and, and God said to me, it's often tempting for us to hope those in the church that we disagree with or don't like, would somehow come round to our way of thinking, or maybe just disappear altogether. Uh, but actually, God reminded me, our calling is to pray for those people and uphold them as they are. And as verse 5 from our reading from Romans today says to us, we'd have the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus had towards us. And Jesus knew a day of judgment was coming, but instead of leaving us to be judged in due time, he did everything in his power to help us avoid that judgment, even at extreme cost to himself. And in the same way, I think we should do everything in our power to help our brothers and sisters in the church, not to stumble and to uphold them. And though there's a couple of points I did want to interject with here, uh, just to ensure we have a balanced message. Because firstly, our discussion from this reading is limited to those who are believers, and we will address non-believers later on, but for now the message is about those who are described in verse 7 as having been accepted by Christ, which I take to mean as those who have truly repented and believed in Jesus for their salvation. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns us about false prophets, and he describes them as wolves in sheep's clothing. And if we adopt a message of unconditional acceptance of everyone without any element of discernment, then we do run the risk of inviting the wolves into the sheep pen, as it were. But for those who Christ has accepted, 
our love and acceptance of them should be as strong and unwavering as Jesus' love for us. And secondly, as Jesus did everything in his power to save us, he couldn't force everyone in the world to believe. And in the same way, whilst we do everything we can to accept and uphold our brothers and sisters, some will stumble, some will fall away, but our conscience should depend not on the response of others, but on our own actions. And so why is it important that we accept one another? Well, firstly, I think it actually adds something to our worship. As we love and accept each other, verses 6 and 7 tell us that it helps us to glorify God and to bring praise to him. And if we're in any doubt about this point, Paul goes on to hammer home the idea that a united body of believers from all backgrounds was always God's plan for humanity. In verses 8 to 12, he uses four quotes from the Old Testament that refer to the Gentiles praising God and being brought into his family. Throughout the whole of human history, God's plan was to bring together a united body of believers from all backgrounds. And Paul spoke earlier in the book of Romans about God choosing the nation of Israel and then extending his grace to the Gentiles. And at this point, almost at the end of his letter, he returns to that, I think, to reinforce the concept, not just that God's grace is open to everyone, but that we should be united in one mind and one voice, not separated into silos of similar ethnicity or age or theology or anything else you can think of, that might divide us. In Romans 11, Paul uses the image of Israel as a great olive tree and compares the Gentiles to wild olive shoots that have been grafted into the tree. And I thought I knew what grafting meant in an agricultural sense, but I thought I'd find a definition just to make sure. And I'm going to go against all the advice from my school teachers here by quoting Wikipedia. But the Wikipedia definition, I thought, was so apt. Because Wikipedia says, Grafting is a horticultural technique where tissues of plants are joined so as to continue their growth together. And that really rang true for me. We've all been grafted into one tree, as it were, so that we can continue our growth together. Because God doesn't call individuals. He calls a collective people. And as one writer put it, if God has accepted us, and if God has accepted our brothers and sisters, shouldn't we complete the triangle and also accept each other? But this image of trees and grafting actually presented another challenge to me as I was thinking. I was forced to ask myself the question, I know through grace alone I've been grafted into this great tree, but am I willing for that grafting in to continue, that others might be grafted in alongside me. And naturally, my first reply to this is an emphatic yes, of course. That's what I long for. I seek to see other people come to know Jesus. But actually, when I truly examined myself, I found that I often fall short. My reply is more along the lines of, yes, I'm happy for other people to be grafted in alongside me, as long as they think in this way, or as long as they don't do this, that, and the other, or as long as they're going to support my agenda in this area. And whilst when I started to speak, I made it clear the words of this passage only apply to fellow believers, 
But of course, the problem is, by default, they're extended to anyone who might choose to become a believer. And because of this, I think we can't be effective evangelists to those that we can't accept. For in fact, if they then became believers, it would disrupt our worship, our praise of God. And it's tempting when we look at people and think they might come in and disrupt us to think that the fault lies with them. But actually, I think often the fault lies with us. It's not that other people aren't worthy, but it's that we're unable to accept them. And we need to cultivate an attitude of love and acceptance amongst ourselves so we're ready to accept anyone who might choose to truly believe. And in this Advent season, we remember the birth of Jesus, who, as verse 12 tells us, came to rule over all the nations and bring hope to the Gentiles. And we also look forward to the second Advent, the second coming of Jesus, when he comes in his glory to judge the living and the dead. And on that day, will he find a united people? Will he find us ready to be part of that united church? And will we be able to say when we're called to give an account that we've discharged our duty to accept as many into our number as we're willing to believe? And for me, I know that I need to do more in this area and I want to commit to do it. And will will you join me to commit also to accept each other? As we look around the room, will we commit to accept each and every person here who is part of this church, of this community of faith. But more than that, as we look out and think about those in our community, will we commit to trying to love them, to accept them, and to know that should they choose to repent and believe, they will find their welcome here amongst us. As I think, as we make these commitments, it gives us a new power. And I think... Being overtly evangelistic is good at times, but being united in love draws people into the kingdom in a much more subtle way. And I heard someone say earlier this year, we need to remember when someone first walks into a church, whether they're a Christian or not, they don't immediately ask themselves, what is this church's doctrine of the Trinity? Though doctrine is important. And what is this church's view on Christian ethics? although ethics are important, the first question they ask themselves is, could I belong here? And when we understand what unity and acceptance means, we create a culture where people feel they can belong. Actually, even if they don't completely share our doctrine or our ethics or anything else that is one of these disputable matters that could divide us. And in our society today, I think people are sick of having things rammed down their throats. And if I'm allowed to be political for one second, just a tiny bit, not too much. But if we look at this election, I decided who I'm going to vote for several weeks ago. And I'm sick of even them, because I'm getting so many leaflets (laughs) through the door. I'm getting so many Facebook adverts. I'm getting so many everything else. Sometimes two leaflets a day from the same party. My paper sack is bulging at the minute. And I think... Everywhere we go these days, we're getting opinions thrown at us, left, right, and center. And I'm I'm a bit of a fan of what I would call older music, but by that I mean music probably 20 years older than me, which may not be older than everyone. (laughs) But (laughs) but when I was thinking about this, it made me feel like we're living in some 
twisted, warped version, surrounded by a twisted, warped version of Phil Spector's wall of sound. It's just voices and noise coming from all directions with opinions. And I don't think a lot of the time, people don't need the church adding another voice to that wall of voices. And actually, if we try to do that, we can be in danger of being lost in the multitude. Much as if you know the uh, music of Phil Spector, his speciality was to blend lots of similar instruments together so as to be indistinguishable. And actually, if we try and add our voice to the wall of voices, throwing opinions at people, I think there's a danger that we can be lost in that wall of sound. But instead, through a subtle yet radically different way of loving each other and coexisting, we can hope to draw others in. And there's one other point I want to make, and sorry, I know I'm bouncing around a bit left, right and centre here and going off text a little bit and here, there and everywhere, but I think it's important that we acknowledge as we accept each other in spite of our differences, we enable the church as a whole to receive the fullness of what God has for each of us. Because if we go back to slightly earlier in Romans again, Romans 12 speaks of the church of one body with many members, each with a different function. And it goes on to describe some of the spiritual gifts that have been given to us. And the word for spiritual gifts is charismata, which is where we get the word charismatic from these days, I think, which is usually taken to refer to those in the church who are focused on more supernatural moves of the Holy Spirit. But the point I want to make is the charismata that is described in Romans 12 are not necessarily what we'd immediately think of as supernatural things. They include serving others, encouraging, teaching, leading, giving, showing mercy. And these sit alongside the more, what we might think of as supernatural gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, such as healing, miraculous powers, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And my firm belief is that as we accept each other, despite our differences and acknowledge our different callings, we allow everyone to flourish in their own appointed spiritual gifts. And as we cultivate each of the gifts, it allows us to receive the other gifts in greater fullness. So those who are naturally inclined to encouraging, serving and uh, showing mercy, they need to be open to prophecy, speaking in tongues and healing so that their own gifts may reach their fullness. But likewise, for those of us who are inclined to prophecy, speaking in tongues and miraculous powers, we need to be open to the encouraging gifts, the merciful gifts, the gifts of leading, the gifts of discernment, so that our own prophecy and tongues and the like may be made complete. Because although we are one body, praising with one heart, one mind and one voice, we're not just an identical Christian blob, we're not a big blob that when you believe you become consumed into part of the whole being. We're still individual members with our own different functions. And as Paul alludes to in 1 Corinthians 13, all spiritual gifts and in fact everything else is worth nothing without love. So as we love and accept each other, everything else we do finds its true value and its true meaning. So should we take a moment now as I draw to a close just to reflect again on the great love that God has for us, how through Jesus he accepted each of us. And let's try and commit 
through the power of the Spirit, because we can't do it on our own, and we can't do it in our own strength, but through the power of the Spirit, to offer that love and that acceptance to each other.